Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. What you're looking for, the same thing, it's a new thing, check out this, I bring, uh-oh, the roll below the level, cause I'm living low, next to the base, come on, turn up the radio, they're claiming I'm a criminal, but now I wonder how, some people never know, the enemy could be the friend guardian, I'm now a hooligan, I rock the party and clear all the madness, I'm not a racist, preach to teach the all, cause don't they never had this, number one, never wanna run about the gun, I wasn't licensed to have one, the minute they see me, I'm the epitome of public enemy Used abuse without clues I refuse to blow a fuse They even had it on the news Don't believe the hype Don't, don't, don't believe the hype How are you? Chuck, how you doing? I'm good. I'm up late waiting for your call. I appreciate your time, man. Thank you very much for taking it. I wanted to chat to you first of all about the Clash podcast series, which you narrated as a huge fan of that band. I thought you did an amazing job. Um, and I wanted to Thank know uh, what that experience was like for you. Obviously, I know you were a DJ before you got into music as well. So how much fun did you have getting your teeth into that project? And obviously, what did the Clash mean to you on a personal level as well? Um, it was a great um, opportunity, number one. Uh, I felt that everything I've done in my career is significant in rap music and hip-hop, like Dylan has meant to, to rock music and, and, and folk, and also uh, the class has meant to rock and punk rock. So um, I felt it was a revisitation of the situation that uh, Bill Stephanie introduced me to and. 1982 about the works that were done by by the class it was uh 
was a lengthy project, and I'm glad I did it from A to Z, and the team that we had at the BBC were wonderful. I love that you got Bill on the show as well. What a fantastic full circle moment. Yeah, man. I, I thought uh, it was great to 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 integrate Bill into into it because without Bill, uh, um, my career in public enemy would not be possible. Tell me whether or not this is right, Chuck. I heard from somebody that Iron Maiden were another band, not on a musical level, but perhaps in the way they present themselves particularly on stage, were they an influence on you and on Public Enemy and the kind of visual aesthetic of the group early on as well? Am I right in thinking that or am I way off the mark? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're correct. Um, before even hearing or following the music, watching the the, the marketing and the album artwork of Alan Maiden was an was a, um, a influence uh, of how we would be able to sequel and come up with a theme that was repeating uh, for public enemy in the in the world of hip hop and, and rap, I love it. You learn something new every day. I recently finished yep. reading your book, which I just want to recommend to anybody who's reading, um, not reading, listening to this podcast. Uh, it's called "Fight the Power: Rap, Race, and Reality." An amazing book, not just your story and not just the story of public enemy and and history of hip hop, but also really a a history of well racism right and a history of the oppression of black people and an exploration of the roots of that and the reinforcement and evolution of it uh one of the things you mentioned in the book is the million man march which before reading this book i have to claim ignorance i'd never heard of that or wasn't familiar with its significance i wonder if you could talk a little bit about that event and and what it meant and perhaps why it isn't as, as widely known as it should be? Well, it's not widely known as it should be as it occurred in 1995 when there was a million men that were gathered in, in Washington, D.C. In, in front of the, the U.S. Capitol and also the White House and the monument uh, for the solidarity of black men who were ostracized as well as black people from society and the black male especially in the United States society was looked upon as being a threat and being pretty much a deterrent with a misunderstanding of the black male. Um, 1995 was organized by the nation of Islam and Minister Louis Farrakhan who coincidentally is getting ready to speak this July 4th. And uh, there was a lot of anticipation going up to that day like will a million men show up Black men show up. Not only did they, they expected that there would be some unrest and it wasn't a peep. It wasn't a sound. Um, it wasn't, a, I mean, it wasn't a drop, drop of a hat. And um, black men got together and, and rallied the fort. It was totally, like completely peaceful, right? And I think that's something. Yeah, that's why, which... that's why you, that's the thing that made you not hear no, hear it. You, you heard it getting whitewashed in history. There's so many wow. things in the book that you raise that I was just so blind to, Chuck, and I appreciate the, you know, the schooling, and I can't recommend the book to everybody enough. Um, well, one thing that you mention is how a lot of African-American entertainers and athletes historically have been given the platform to show off their craft, 
and you know be an amazing comic or actor or musician or dancer or basketball player or whatever it is that they do but then when it came time to their actual opinions and having a platform to to voice their concerns they were often sidelined and I wanted to get your take on perhaps how that might have or might not have changed in more recent years with the advent of social media because obviously when you wrote the book it was 1997 it came out before social media was a thing right and i often i often struggle to find the positives in social media but as i was reading your book i thought oh maybe that is one that actually it's given a platform and a voice to a lot of people in the public eye that they can kind of connect with their audience and express themselves in a way that perhaps they weren't given the chance to before Right, you've answered your own question very directly <laughs> that you had athletes and entertainers to real, not only deal directly with their quote-unquote following base, uh, you know, fan base, if you want to call it that, but they are also uh, issuing their point of view and displeasure of what they see in society. And also people who use social media to say what they like. But with all what's going on right now, you have athletes directly speaking to the cause. And it's very important that you have the top athletes coming out and saying the things because it, there's no such thing no, no more as being whiteballed out of the league, out of sports, because all the voices are saying it collectively at the same time. And the guys on the top just can't be bought off of that perch. LeBron James is a very different um leader in the in the sport of basketball which is ranking you know next to soccer as as a world sport and lebron james is at the top of that world sport using his voice and and sports and also culture what did you make of the chicago bulls documentary that was recently on netflix did you catch that did you like it yeah of course it was well put together it it was able to fill up a good chunk of quarantine time <laughs> when it started in April. And a lot of people got acclimated to uh, disseminating the myth about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. It was educational to many people, and it was a revisitation for others. What have you been doing in quarantine, Chuck, other than making some new music? What have you been doing, and sort of how have you been filling your time? Music and art. Music and art, and, you know... Um, the Spit Slam record label group, SpitSlamRecords.com is, is my record label. And we have significant artists on that label. And we have Rap Station, which is a 10-station channel network. And my guys, you know, we have artists and shows and, and um, DJs on our 10-station channels all over the world. And a big shout-out to DJ Shorty and the Chip Shop in Brixton and also... Uh, Big shout out to guys like DJ Pressure and Tony Spin um, and CRF up in Manchester. So they're, they're on our internet network, and that's where I spend a lot of my time breaking records. One thing that I noticed, which I love about yourself and also Tom Morello, I had Tom on the podcast a while back when you were touring with Profits, and I know oh, that's great. I'd noticed that you two would go out into cities at night after the shows, right. and you'd go up to local bars and you'd just like take them over and just start like having a block party inside the club and so few internationally recognized famous musicians do that and go out and are connected on a street level with with new music and with with new artists and djs and nightlife like is that just something that's in you that you can't escape 
Well, coincidentally, Tom Morello, Tom Morello is a man of the people. Yes. And he loves to do that. Occasionally, I, I, I step in. It's like Tom Morello and DJ Lord were the two in the four, forefront of going in and doing that. And every once in a while, I um, participated in that. And um, usually, I, I turn my hotel room into an art studio and I worked on my art as everybody went other places after, um, after the concert. But I relished in, and, uh, you know, being, uh, in the same fold as the great Tom Morello. He's my guy. And, uh, we had a fantastic time at Prophets of Raids. It was a four year school of existence. And, um, we went around and I, I felt that we taught and entertained the world and had a great brotherhood, and we still do. A couple of things on that note, which I didn't realize. The first of all is that you go way back with them, don't you, to like the mid-90s or even earlier, perhaps. I didn't realize there was such a long-standing historic bond between you and that, that group. Yeah, well, Rage Against the Machine opened for me, and Rage Against the Machine and Cypress Hill played together. So that's how far back we go. Well, I had B Real on the show as well, and he was saying how there was kind of two camps when you would tour. There's the camp that would, in his words, elevate, <laughs> and uh, sure. then there was those that did not. And I guess those that did not would be you and Tom, and then the rest of the guys would be on on the smoke bus. But one thing that B Real said, which was amazing, a kind of a full circle moment for him, was that he said that the Bomb Squad was instrumental in getting Cypress Hills journey started with the inclusion of how i could just kill a man on the, the, yeah, G, yeah. the g soundtrack yes exactly i remember like yesterday uh hank shockley and gary g Wiz um specifically placed uh, how i could kill a man in the movie juice which was i guess one of the seminal hip-hop films of all time and the, the placement of that song during the chase elevator scene was perfect and uh um the song caught on after that, and that was the spark that Cypress Hill needed. And uh, they ended up becoming one of the greatest hip-hop rap groups of all time from that movie. We, we, we take pride in that, that move. How important was the Do the Right Thing movie and soundtrack and moment to the story of Public Enemy? I just rewatched that film last night, and uh, what, what a great well, movie it is as well. I'd forgotten how many amazing young actors are in it too, like Rosie, oh, yeah. Rosie Perez, Sam Jackson. Well, um, the beautiful aspect of it is that Spike Lee put Fight the Power in there as an anthem, but he also placed it uh, in the in the movie at least twenty five percent of the time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Who does who does that? He 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 significantly significantly made it happen. Did you write the song specifically for the film? Uh, yes. It was an anthem that was uh, made specifically for the film, and that's what Spike said he needed. Um, early on, as well, in the Public Enemy story, we've got tours which now, I mean, seem like a million miles away, probably, but they must have been so important at the time. And you went out on the road with, well, well you too is one I was reading about in your book, and mm -hmm. the, the introduction to that arena rock world must have been such an eye-opening experience for you um what was that like for you guys being taken into that world um something that we thought that um stretched the envelope of where we can actually climb and get to as a genre we saw that you two expanded the genre and 
and their performance and also being able to reach, you know, people in their music, of course, but in their area of performance and, and their, their span of influence, um, we thought that was something that we could aspire to and, and drag our genre into that. So, and, and also just being cool dudes and, and four of them. I, I was amazed that there was just four of them. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that, that was something. I heard they split all the money equally as well, which is amazing. And I think uh, it was Clem Burke from the band Blondie who told me, he was like, oh. when you look at the bands that split the money equally, they're the ones that last the test of time because you don't have egos and money worries tearing the band apart. Um, well, I don't know anything about that, but it sounds like a novel idea. They're all cool people. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One thing I also wanted to talk about, Chuck, is the, I guess, the role of Hollywood and the entertainment industry. Um, a lack of positive, strong role models within you know, their worlds. Um, you talk about how black actors have historically been regulated to these kind of comic one-dimensional characters in the past. Do you feel like that has changed and improved in more recent times? Or do you feel like there's still a lot of work to be done in regards to the representation of black people in TV and film and the complexities and subtleties of the characters that we're introduced to? Yeah, of course. I'm not talking about the faces on the screen. I'm talking about every time you see a commercial and even where you're from in the UK, even if you see a black face, how often you see in a black company put out the faces. So in the areas of ownership and, and uh, companies that actually are able to present these images, that's still a low percentage that we can make better because it's because you're throwing a whole bunch of black faces and symbols and images out there. If you're still the same company that that is not black but still owning a corner on the dictation of what what should be put out there, um, it's so easy to find a problem with that. Why do you think the the movement that's now in effect is you know come to be now finally after all this time after years and decades of 
you know, people not getting behind this cause. Why do you think now it's finally the, like the kind of the final straw in the camel's back broke and the world finally actually went, oh, we need to change things now? Do you think it was... Different generations. Yeah. Different generations. People who were here in the 80s and 90s are not, a lot of them are not here. And also it's the decades where people were born. So there's the difference. And then they're, con- they're connected a lot differently. So if there's some angst and some confusion and questions that need to be asked, they're asking themselves and coming up with the same angry answer. So this is what makes that different. Do you think, you know, how we have this trend of cancel culture at the moment and people are ready to jump on people that have made mistakes in the past and make them pay for those mistakes. Do you think we could take some of that energy and redirect it towards getting what you refer to in your book again to go back to that as reparations and compensations for you know victims of the slave trade this historic thing that's made so many people wealthy they're obviously individuals that we could probably you know name and trace do you think that we could ever bring about a movement like that that in the same way that victims of the holocaust were compensated for their pain and their torment, do you think that's something that could happen with, you know, the history of slavery and holding those people accountable? Because that would be an amazing thing, right? It would. There's a lot of atrocities that are done in the world by by countries that have settled in the into the northern hemisphere, so to speak. And so when the rest of the world is looked upon by these territories as being a place that they've they've kind of like um, damaged or pilfered from. When these countries realize that, then you'll start the process of of, of some change happening. Um, but like I said, this is a this is a big discussion that goes beyond. Uh, the USA or even the UK. Like I said, the Northern Hemisphere, they've gone in the lands across the world, took their, their, their resources, all their wealth, and stockpiled it in the North for a lot of situations that had been altered. Their state had been altered from, from these atrocities. So, I mean, new generations look at that as being something that that they want to be able to, to say we can start on a clean slate only if we have some kind of reparation or repairing for what was done before somewhat. Education's obviously so important as well. and Well, ed- education, economics, enforcement, environment, all these things are, are, are things that, uh, that black folks are looking to at least control for ourselves. Do you think that there's anything like enough history pre-colonialism taught, or is indeed, is indeed there any pre-colonial African history taught in schools in America, at least? Schools need its own revamping. I mean, you, I don't think things could only be taught in a school. I think it has to be a perpetual, you know, teaching. Yeah. Maybe up to somebody's 40 years old and, and gets it, but you come out into into a society that favors one de- demographic and doesn't feel like it has to favor another one. So 
um, when it comes down, it should be taught. Um, most definitely, uh, it's beyond elementary and university. How many times now have you been to Africa? You talk a lot in the book about your trip to Ghana and what an eye-opening, educational, and you know, in many ways, heartbreaking, but also inspiring experience that was. Um, yeah, yeah, three, three times to Africa, and each time it trains, it trains and transforms me. Four times, I think. Yeah, four times to Africa. So uh, it could transform the world. I think it's the future of music, and I think it's the future of of all musicians, Africa. I reckon you should go out there and make a documentary, Chuck. After having heard what a great host and presenter you are on the Clash podcast series, Ooh. I'd love to see you do it like a documentary or a TV series where you go out there and you know get into the, some of the more uncomfortable truths of the history of what happened. And because that's it, right? For for us to progress as a, a one nation, the human race, we have to all be aware of these uncomfortable, difficult, problematic histories. Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, that's what the education is when everybody learns about something, learns about each other. Uh, the only thing you can go forward. Um, I'm I'm a firm believer that uh, in many countries and territories that I've been to, um, in essence, the soul of man and woman want the, the same thing. But that's equalizing it all. That's what justice is. Um being able to make people understand the quantity of their, the quality of their life and uh, the quantity of living and gaining years. I think that's what people kind of want uh, to be able to take care of their family and be able to get a few years in to, to at least be able to teach and, and let newer generations know that, that um, it's viable. How's being a family man change your life, Chuck? I mean, I mean, when you actually have something to do with um, helping usher some young people into this world, then obviously you're a tad bit more civil, you know, serious than than um, th- those without. So, yeah. Talk to me about your chosen family as well, Public Enemy, in particular. Flavor Flav, like you two are such different, distinct yin and yang characters, uh, and I think that's what makes yeah. the band so special. That's what makes it work. Well, there's one, there's one guy in in charge, and I, unfortunately, it's me. So <laughs> if I got to get you know everybody together on the same page, because if I don't get everybody on the same page, it won't happen. And um, being that if it doesn't happen, it's unfortunate. I have to be the guy that kind of gets on everybody to be the best that they can. I can live with that. What do you think you'd be doing if you weren't in music now? Do you think you would be down that kind of broadcasting DJ road or would you be somewhere else entirely? Have you ever given that much thought? Of course, I would be in a commercial art field as an illustrator and I would also be using my part-time in the area of radio. Do you have any more plans to do any more radio-related projects? Is that something you'd like to do more of after having done that Clash thing? Oh, I, I do Rap Station. You go to rapstation.com forward slash app, you get the app, you see the 10 station channel groups. So, I mean, my hands are full with my own radio into network. Um, it's the best in the world, I think. It's the loudest rap radio. But uh, go check it out.
rapstation.com and then the back end of it, rapstation.com forward slash app where you can get the app and check it out yourself. I'll link it up in the <laughs> podcast episode description. So finally, going forward, what's the, the plans for, for Public Enemy? You've just released this new track with a new video um, and you've got DJ Premiere in there as well. Yes. Yes. Uh, Premier, best in the world. What he does, uh, he was quick at it. I was quick at it. It was a no-brainer. Um, it's going to be a song that's going to be on Public Enemy's Nothing's Quick in the Desert album coming out on August 1st, my birthday, coincidentally, number 60. And um, wow. and April April 1st, I released uh, the DJ Bob Marley component of Public Enemy called Enemy Radio. And it's a wonderful 12-track album you should check out. Enemy Radio is uh, me and Jahi and DJ Lord of Public Enemy. And we took a faction of Public Enemy and created, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a subunit out of that that's able to sub subwoofer its way the truth. And the new Public Enemy record has been produced by by Flavor Flav. Is that right? No, that's the second one. This first one is, is nothing's quick in the desert. The second one is actually coming um, late fall, possibly even the first week of November. So you got two but records this, out this, this year. Wow. Yeah, two records out on the on the second side of the year. Exactly. <laughs> and it's got some surprises. So you have been a busy man. I love it. I'm, I'm, my art and my music and lyrics and writing is, is representative of a furnace. So. Do you hold out hope and positivity for the future, Chuck? Are we going to be okay? Uh, this is probably the most unpredictable period ever. I've experienced in my 60 years. Um, the most you can have is, is like Je- Reverend Jesse Jackson said, keep hope alive. But, and you got to toil away at it. You got to be somewhat aggressive at life as it comes at you. And you got to definitely go at it. You you know, you hear like people talk about, um, I'm willing to die. But I think before you even say that, you used to say, I'm willing to live. And that's been important. So as Joe said, the future's unwritten, right? Yeah, who said that? Joe Strummer. Okay. I mean, I can flow, I'll flow with that. And I guess it's just up to us to make the world a better place, right? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Chuck, thank you for not just your time, but for all your amazing art and music and, and work over, over the years. Um, I'm a huge, thank you. huge admirer of everything you've ever been involved with, and it was a real pleasure and an honor to talk, to, to, talk to you today. Thank you. I'm glad I could actually speak to you uh, in the wee hours of night here and in the wake-up hours of where you're at. And just tell people to go check out Rap Station and then also Enemy Radio on our Spit Slam record label group. Um, Loud is Not Enough is the name of that album. The Public Enemy album is Nothing is Quick in the Desert. I hope we get to do one of these face-to-face sometime in the uh, the new world when that kind of thing is <laughs> is allowed again. It would be cool to sit down with you, man. But, yeah, thank you once again, and uh, I'll see you on the other side, man. Thanks a lot. All right, bro. Take care. Thank you. Cheers, Chuck. Cheers. <laughs>
this dictator. POTUS my tail, ask the beta. Prime time primo, rhyme time crime, like no other in this lifetime. White House killer, dead in lifelines. Broke this joke out, or die trying. Unprecedented, demented, many presidented. Nazi Gestapo, dictator defendant. It's not what you think, it's what you follow. Run for them jewels, drink from that bottle. Another four years, gonna gut your hollow. Gun it out, dried up, broken, can't borrow. State of the Union, shut the fuck up. Sorry ass motherfucker, stay away from me. State of the Union, shut the fuck up. Sorry ass motherfucker, stay away from me. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.